I guess for mo is most is this the last class for most of you for this yes. week? For some people are shaking their heads in anger. Uh, others are shaking their head in delight. Well, I'm glad you came. I was talking to the faculty at the table because they were wondering how many people would have an extended break, you know, and take some unauthorized time off. It's the whole problem, right? If we give you Wednesday off so that you can go to go home for Thanksgiving, you know, have Wednesday as a travel day, then everyone's going to take Tuesday off. And so my argument to the administration once was, why don't you just give us the whole semester off? <laughs> this is infinite regression, and and uh, we'll use it wisely. You know, everyone will love you, and and uh, they can just clock in their hours, you know, remotely. You know, and yeah, uh, they didn't seem to like that idea. So they they just gave me this funny look, saying, "Are you trying to be funny?" <laughs> Or would you like to be fired? You know, like. <laughs> so I said, uh, I, I was actually kind of serious with the logic here because it's what we seem to do. So, but today, today is an important day because we're actually in the core of the Davidic covenant. Today is the day that we're going to cover. <clears throat> and let me just kind of walk you through because you're like. And according to the original schedule, we have like two weeks on the Davidic covenant. How is that possible when the thing is only like, well, from technically it's from verse 9b to verse 16. It's only seven or eight verses. That's the, that's the nature of the Davidic covenant. But it, they are so important, and sometimes you can't gain the importance just by looking at the verses themselves, although I think here you could actually. But well, I'm going to also show you some test cases of how, okay, you understand the Davidic covenant now. And that's not just going to help you to understand the book of Second Samuel. I want to show you, here's how it's going to help you understand Isaiah. Here's how it's going to help you to understand the Psalms. Here's going to help you to understand Proverbs. Here's how it's going to help you to understand all these different books of the Bible so that you see, oh, Davidic Covenant, big deal, very, very big deal. Even, it would have even helped you to understand Amos if you were in Minor Prophets today. But, you see, I didn't have time to talk about the Davidic Covenant in Minor Prophets because that would, just, that would just put us so behind that, you know, we would just have the, we would have Min Prophets. Not even the minor, just the min, just the min. That's it. Uh, but the uh, Davidic covenant is just so central, and I want to be very careful. And you had an SPP due today, remember? Everyone remember that uh, that you're supposed to upload, <coughs> and that covered name some allusion to some other passage in the Davidic covenant, something along those lines, right? And you might say, I didn't find anything. No one said anything. Well, well then. They're no good, you know. Okay, and it's not that they're bad people. Don't don't say that. Don't. That's not what I mean. Just they're not giving you. You know, it's like going to Stonefire and eating a piece of lettuce or something. It's like what? You know, that's not what you go to Stonefire or going to Pizza Hut and eating some Parmesan or something. You know, it doesn't make any sense. You got to understand all that's packed into this thing, and it is it is powerful. This is the one covenant, really, to rule them all. In fact, I would say, and I might get shot for saying this, this is probably more central than the new covenant. 
because it is on this basis that the new covenant can happen. You know, this, you know, new, don't, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm personally grateful for the new covenant every day, right? Otherwise, I would not exist and I wouldn't be saved, and my sins wouldn't be forgiven, and I wouldn't have the Holy Spirit, and all these kind of catastrophic things would happen to me if I didn't have that covenant. So don't, don't take this in any way of, I'm ungrateful for this. No, no, no. I'm very grateful. But the new covenant, if I was going to diagram covenants on the board, like Noahic, and this is actually good, because you'll start to see how this happens. Abrahamic, then Mosaic, and then Davidic, and then New. What all of these kind of like interface like this, and the New Covenant is just the expression, it's, I'm just is such a minimum, uh, it's not just, it is the way the Davidic covenant comes into reality. Does that make sense? Let, let me put it this way. If the new covenant is like the space shuttle, the Davidic covenant is the booster rocket and the space shuttle, like the wings of the space shuttle and, and all the white on the space shuttle. And the, and the new covenant is the rest of the space shuttle, like the black wingtips, you know, <laughs> things like that. Because without this, this won't work. Here, I'll give you a real easy way to prove it. Watch. Who starts the new covenant? Jesus. Davidic. There, we're done. I win. You know, there's just no way you can get away from that. You need this fulfilled, otherwise this is not going to work. I mean, it's just, it's just blatantly obvious. I mean, once you start to start logically thinking about it, it's like, so we need Jesus to die. Oh, that's all Davidic covenant. So you can't have this without the Davidic covenant. This is all, everything, this is the ring. The one ring to rule them all. It is the sword that was shattered, and once you wield it, everything can get fulfilled. And the fulfillment of everything is really what is encompassed in the new covenant <clears throat> in a unique way. But that presumes you have the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Okay? In fact... In Acts 2, I know I'm lecturing a little bit, but we'll pray. Uh, in Acts 2, what Peter, I would argue, is arguing, and I, I, can, I can show you, for those of you minor prophets, when I discuss Hosea, it all makes sense. Well, actually, a lot of it will make sense. Um, and you'll start to connect the dots, and you'll start to see what happens. But in... Acts 2, when Peter is arguing for the why the latter days have come, and we already, you know, why, why have they come? Why has the Holy Spirit come? Why has the new covenant begun? Why, have, uh, why is God pouring out the Holy Spirit and all these kinds of things happening? His argument is not because, um, you know, well, why not? You know, something like that. The argument is central to not just our Lord's death, that's there, but more importantly, it's his what? Resurrection. Why? Because now he sits on the throne. He's the king. He proved himself to be the king. Davidic covenant. It all, it all goes back to there. In fact, 
Paul's and Peter, Paul and Peter both allude more to the Davidic covenant than the New Covenant in the book of Acts. I mean, directly. Directly. Um, in fact, one person said that uh, Paul's f- major sermon in Acts 13 is a cantata of the Davidic covenant. I thought that was interesting. One, because he used like, I mean, how many nerds in the nerd world, a biblical nerd world, will use the word cantata? You know? <laughs> Only music majors know what that thing is. I, I was a music major. I don't even remember what that thing is. So, the, and then on top of that, he's right. It is something about the Davidic covenant. It's all about the Davidic covenant. And a lot of the connections you see here are going to be reiterated by Paul. So this is really important. And I just will pray today that I don't mess this up. Because the Davidic Covenant is kind of like a bomb as well. Like if you don't get it just right, it'll blow up in your face. And that's that's no fun for me, because I'm the one who's trying to get it right. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this important text. So central, it has been set up by your providential and clear intervention uh, throughout the entire book of 2 Samuel up to this point. It is your way of showing that this covenant is the covenant of all covenants, that David and his throne and his dynasty are is the throne, the dynasty, the house by which we understand all redemptive history, uh, that David is in the central category and the central focus of what is about to take place. Lord, so we pray that we would understand the glory that is here. That we understand the beauty and the weight of what is about to take place and what we are about to see in this text. Help us to make the connections we need to make to connect everything together well so that we understand what it means that Jesus fulfills the Davidic covenant. What kind of glory does he receive through this? What kind of honor and what is the weight of redemptive history that he therefore carries upon his shoulders? Give us the taste of that through this text today. Thank you for these fellow believers. Give us clarity as we dialogue over these things. In your name we pray. Amen. So here we go. We are in context and overview on this page of the Davidic covenant proper, letter B. And as I kind of noted last time, this is this idea of kingship, this idea of royalty in a dynasty, is in the center of the author of 2 Samuel's mind. Remember how we compared and contrast Chronicles and 2 Samuel? And we kind of said, hey, there are all these differences, but that shows that Chronicles is more about temple, but 2 Samuel is more about king. And that's absolutely true here. Okay? But on top of that, let me just say two things that the setting that we talked about previously last time establishes about the Davidic Covenant. Two things. First, this is about what the capital K-I-N-G, how he's going to govern his lowercase K-I-N-G. This is the official charter of how the capital K-I-N-G governs his lowercase K-I-N-G. That's the first thing. In other words, the Davidic covenant is meant to be the lens that you have on the rest of redemptive history. Deuteronomy was a lens for the nation as a whole. In fact, that's why, where's the law of the king found? Deuteronomy 17. 
And what did the law of the king say? It's the three G's, which are? Gold, gals, giddy up. That's good. That's very good. Remember the one o'clock rule, AM rule, right? You, need to, you just have to say it cold, even, even if you're out, even if you were NyQuilled. You know, it doesn't matter. You just have to say it. So, yes, but remember, the law of the king is found in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, you're like, who cares about Deuteronomy? Well, that's like the lens on the rest of the Bible. If you don't understand Deuteronomy, you just can't understand anything. Uh, you're helpless <laughs> and hopeless. No, you're not hopeless because you could read it. But it is meant, right? Even David's life has to be looked through the lens of the book of Deuteronomy. Israel's history has to be looked through the book of Deuteronomy. If you had me in Minor Prophets, you know Joel is a walkthrough of Deuteronomy, which also means because Amos is based on Joel, Jonah is based on Joel, you know, Hosea is based on Joel, that all those other books are based upon a walkthrough of Deuteronomy. Does this make sense? Deuteronomy is meant to be a worldview lens on the rest of Israel's history. If you read Israel's history without Deuteronomy, it's like, I don't know, watching Avatar with your eyes closed or something. It just is not going to make any sense. You know, you just don't have the proper lens. Or, I don't know, I never saw Avatar, ever. But uh, in the theaters, did they make you wear those glasses things? No? It was automatically in 3D? Or? Oh, you had to have the glasses. Yeah, and what happens if you didn't have the glasses? It would be, would it be blurry or whatever? That's like reading, that's, that's another good analogy. Uh, I, asked, I asked Hutchison, you know, because Hutchison, if you didn't know, is colorblind. So, so I'm like, so what, what did the movie look like to you? And he goes, well, with the glasses and without the glasses, it looked the same. Yeah, <laughs> poor guy. But you, you need to have, without reading, reading the history of ancient Israel, in, in the Bible particularly, without Deuteronomy, is like watching Avatar 3D without the glasses. It's just blurry. You don't get it. It's not clear, it's not sharp, it's not understandable, and you're going to pull out all these wrong lessons. Reading about David's life from here on out, the Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, all the other prophets without the Davidic covenant, is like, it's like reading, looking at Avatar without glasses and one eye, you know, and something else is stuck in your eye. You know, that, this is an absolute, you've got to do this. And, Okay, I'll give you one example, right? Just up front, taste of what we're going to do later. Imprecatory Psalms, right? What do you do with those things? That's what everyone and their cousin asks. You know, what, what do we do with these imprecatory Psalms? When David, you know, says, oh, Lord, just smash them and kill their kids and throw them to the rocks and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, yeah, like, well, let's, let's just do that against people. And then here comes Jesus and he says, love your enemy. And you're like, and throw them to the rocks and wait, what? How do I do that? So, you know, what, what do I do? Get familiar with this diagram. Here's David. He has a D on his head. Here's you. You have a Y-O-U on your head. Here's the Davidic Covenant. How do the Psalms relate to you? So often, and sometimes this works, right? Sometimes your method works. What you do is you just pretend you're David. Is that, you, oops, isn't that usually right? I mean, that's what you do. You just say, well, you know, here's David, I'm David. And then you read the psalm and it works. 
But the problem with that method is, yeah, sometimes it produces great results that actually would get you to that result through a normal method. But the problem is, sometimes it won't. You know, like when David says, Lord, you'll save me from death. Really? So you're just going to claim that for yourself? Uh, that could be a problem. You know, like, Lord, I know you will not let my soul see Sheol or something like that. You're like, uh, no, that's not going to happen. So, I mean, it will, but not the same way you're thinking about it. Because you have to read it like this. Instead of a direct link. The Psalms do relate to you personally. They do. You just have to know the process, which is this. David is looking at a situation and relating inspired writ to that situation. But that writ is plugged into the Davidic covenant. Lord, curse my enemies. Why? Because God promised him to. God promised him, no one will stand against you. No one will fight against you. That's my covenant with you. You're my conquering king. We'll start to see all this come together. And then that will (coughs) relate to you from the Davidic covenant. Why? Because in Christ, who is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, are we. Does that make sense to everybody? So when David is praying, Lord, crush these people, Christ, God, how does God answer the prayer? He might answer it for David individually. That's possible. But ultimately, who does he answer this cry for in the Davidic covenant? He answers it for who? Christ. And what are we waiting for? Christ to finally fulfill all the Davidic covenant. It becomes a worship song because we're worshiping the king, not worshiping ourselves. In our own agendas, we're worshiping Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? And and David was doing the same thing, and I can prove it in a lot of different passages in a lot of different ways. But, you know, it's funny because one of the examples I was going to use was from Psalm 61. Because I just thought, oh, this is a perfect example. I was just reading it for my devotions. I thought, oh man, this is exactly what we need to do. And I'm going to say exactly these things. And I don't think I've seen anyone say this before. Uh, you know. And then all of a sudden, doc, Dr. Varner, you know, he's blogging through the Psalms. He just says it. So I don't need to say anymore. You can read on his blog. Okay, you're like, what's his blog with this profound knowledge? www.dribex. Tumblr, T-U-M-B-L-R dot com. Read Psalm 61. Very important. <clears throat> and he nails it on the head. He got it, to be sure. This is a projection. Psalms are projecting the Davidic covenant back and forth onto situations and from there making inspired applications. We take those applications, but you can't just say, hey, it just applies to me, just like it applies to David. You're not David but you are in Christ, who is the ultimate David. And so there's going to be a correlation to you. Yeah. So is this like, I mean, David's been through some wars, he's been in some fights, throwing some barcels, whatever. I mean, but, so, I, I got off topic there, but I'm sorry. Anyways, uh, going back, like, he's been in some fights, right? Right. So, like, would this be him speaking, kind of? I mean, I know all scriptures God breathed. Oh, no, this is him speaking. And who was with him in those fights? And why did he win those battles or lose those battles? 
It's all dependent on one thing, Davidic covenant. And let's say he lost the battle, right? Let's, uh, you know, good one. See, now, now I'm totally off, but it's okay. It'll start to make sense to you if I, if I give more specific examples, I think. So, yeah, let's say he lost the battle, yes? So you're like in Psalm 60. You know, and he, and he wins, but he doesn't win all the way, right? Something like that. Well, why did that happen? And what's not all the way happening? Davidic covenant. Does that make sense? So he prays a prayer. Lord, you're supposed to, because why is it you're supposed to? Because David is appealing to the who? Capital K-I-N-G, right? This is all part of the Davidic covenant structure. The Davidic covenant structure is the capital K-I-N-G tells the lowercase K-I-N-G what he's going to do and what he's not going to do. Does that make sense to everybody? Lord, I thought you were supposed to do this. I thought these things were supposed to happen. Why aren't they happening? Typical application for a Christian is, well, you know, sometimes we just don't always get what we want, and uh, there are obstacles in life and trials and tribulations. Is that true? Yeah. But is that the right connection? Not quite. David's saying, this, these promises here, I don't see them. And God says, but they will happen. I will do everything I guaranteed in here. So who do, what do we hope for? Not in David, and it's not about our personal feelings. The reason this is in Israel's hymn book is it's celebrating this, the Davidic covenant, and the hope that David had for it to be fulfilled. And the hope that he had is what? The hope that we have. He hoped in somebody, in some king, fulfilling this. Well, we do too. We just know what the guy's name is too. Does that make sense? And so the app, yeah, sure, if you want to do this and say, you know, God, I'm just down in the dumps because it just seems like, you know, I'm not having a good day and, you know, David didn't have a good day. and Okay, I mean, true, but you're kind of missing the trajectory. And notice also um, how That kind of logic is all about who? You. These psalms are not meant to worship you. Does that make sense? I mean, I don't think that's pretty crazy, right? I mean, when you sing worship songs, it's not about, you know. Have you guys seen Me Church or Me Music? Me Worship? Have you seen that? It's like, it's all about me, you know, like, you know, and how great I am, you know, like, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, or I adore me, you know, or all that kind of stuff. You know, worship is not about that. Um, you know, maybe, maybe I'll show it to you sometime if you haven't seen it, but worship is about Christ. <clears throat> and David was gunning for the same solution we are. We're just on two flip sides. Does that make sense to everybody? Um, because it's about the Davidic covenant. It's not just about David in his personal situation. Does that make sense? I think that's how we always read Psalms. It's about David in his personal situation. And this is how he's personally feeling, about how he's personally doing. Well, true, he does feel this way. True, he is in a situation that affects him personally. But he's not responding personally. He's responding theologically. And the theology of his response is what we connect with. Does that make sense to everybody? Uh-huh. The Davidic covenant is built off of uh, like Deuteronomy because David is the king, um, and so would would the fact of uh, of God answering his his prayers um, 
also be built off Deuteronomy? Oh, yeah. We'll talk about that. And then, okay, so with that, um, how does that relate to us? Um, the fact that, like, like David's prayers may not have been answered because of Deuteronomy, but our prayers may not be answered because of... Some other factor. Some other factor. Yeah. <laughs> well, how do you... The question is, how do you pray these psalms? Right? How do you understand these psalms and how do you apply them? You know, it's not just, well, David prayed, we pray. That's not the issue. The issue is, well, why did David pray the way he does and how do we now apply that into modern day life? David worships a God who will keep the Davidic covenant in spite of a disaster like, say, Psalm 60. We worship the same God for the same reason because he will keep the Davidic covenant and has already proven that in Christ and that he will fulfill what he said to David and that will bring great glory to the world. We have the same hope. It's just, not, it's just no longer as introspective as we like the Psalms sometimes to be. You know. But also keep this in mind. Sometimes David appeals to the loving kindness of God found in the Davidic covenant as the reason why he knows he can go on and endure the pain. Well, we have the same reason there. Because that loving kindness produced Christ, and we are in Christ, so we have God's grace, which is another great, which is the Greek translation in the New Testament of the word chesed in the Old Testament for loving kindness. Does that make sense, everybody? And so Paul says, God gave me grace. Why? Because I'm in Christ. Well, so what? Because the Davidic covenant, who is, which is fulfilled in Christ, is filled, as we will see, with loving kindness, which David did depend on. Do you see the connections? We're just walking in parallel shoes sometimes. And yes, I recognize that there is a distinction between church and Israel, to be sure. But there are connections, too. Because we are in Christ. We are grafted in. And now it's just the art of finding how, to, how things connect and how you correlate things and how things don't connect. You know, and we've got to be careful about that. But this is kind of an initial paradigm. <laughs> Also, you start to see why some psalms can be just used so easily of Jesus, even if, in the context, it's not talking about Jesus. Does that make sense? Because if this psalm is not just a psalm about David's personal situation, but it's his reflections about how the Davidic covenant works, then it should apply to who? Everybody in the Davidic covenant. Does that make sense to everybody? Just like when you learn the logic of how a car works, a specific car, you can apply the same logic to what? All cars, all vehicles. Well, this is the same idea. And so there is a legitimate relationship. Okay. So Davidic Covenant is important. It's going to transform the way you read a lot of things. Okay. <coughs> Any questions on this? Okay, good. So, let's actually get into the text. Now, therefore, you'll say to my servant David. We've already covered my servant David, so I don't need to cover that. But you know what that means. That means David's really important. And advance, he's the one who advances redemptive history. He is the chosen one. The chosen line. And the Lord of hosts proclaims something to him. Lord of hosts is significant because Lord of hosts emphasizes not only Yahweh's covenant relationship, but also the fact that God reigns sovereign over all nations because the hosts are armies, literally armies. 
And so God can execute his plan. He's fighting a war. We already talked about that all the way since Genesis 3.15. And now the commander of this war is establishing his king. This is part of the history behind the entire covenant. And as I mentioned before, covenants contain a historical section and then a promise section at bare minimum. And this is no exception. And here's what he says. I took you from the pasture, from following sheep, from going after sheep, to be a ruler over my people Israel. Two things to observe about moving David from pasture to prince. One, obviously, it's from nothing to something, emphasizing how God has intervened. Remember the context. God, David thought, oh, maybe God wants me to establish a temple for him because there's this worship you know, emphasis in the book of Deuteronomy. Oh, once again, we're back in the book of Deuteronomy. Are we not? Deuteronomy chapter 12. Maybe that's what God wants. Maybe that's his agenda. Everyone remember me talking about that last time? And God says, that's not my agenda. I didn't get you from nothing to something because my agenda was about a building called the temple. Does that make sense? It was about who? You becoming a prince. And what has the ruler of Israel been called in the past? He's been called a shepherd. So I'm moving you from being a shepherd in one place to being a what? Shepherd in another place. Does that make sense? Are you with me on that? A nagid, a prince of Israel, or a ruler, as it says in the NES text, could include a king, but it's more generic. I think already here, although clearly David is a king, I think God kind of gives him a more generic title because he's the foundation for a line of rulers to culminate in the true king. Does that make sense to everybody? Do you see that? He doesn't just say, well, I made you king. No, I made you a leader. Because you're not the real king, David. You're not. You're the first one of many who will become the real king. Does that make sense to everybody? I would argue that's probably what's going on there in the text. God continues his history about his continual faithfulness to David in verse 9. I've been with you wherever you've gone. I've cut off all your enemies before you. This is all true. This is what God has done for David, and God has crafted redemptive history for this moment. Right? For this moment. And the first promise that God gives to David, and now we're in, is at the end of verse 9. Everyone see it? I will make you a great name. That's the first promise. Chapter 7, verse 9. I will make you a great name. Illusion. Um, Yes? Where is it? Genesis 15, not yet. 12. Turn there. Okay. This will get repeated anyway, but it's now important that you see everything. (coughs) Genesis 12. Someone read verses 1 through 3, and let's start talking. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your 
country and their kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Okay, 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 stop. Good, good night, you're fast. Great nation, great name, yes, blessing. Everyone remember that? In fact, these three things are tied together. These three things are tied together, and they actually go back, as I mentioned before, to this promise of seed in Genesis 3.15, and the promise that the seed will overturn the curse, because he will crush Satan. That's what produces the blessing. And so the bearers of this seed, this line of uh, the seed of the woman, is Israel. It's going to be Abraham and his descendants. And so God says, because of this, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I'm going to give you a what? great name. Alright, good. We get that. Davidic covenant. First promise is what? I will make your name great. I'll give you a great name. Like whose great name? Abraham's. I'll give you a great name. Like Abraham's name. This does actually two things. First, First, this great name ties the Abrahamic covenant into the Davidic covenant. Now, the, the nature of what the Abrahamic covenant is supposed to do, the blessing that it's supposed to provide to all the nations, the fact that Israel will be a great nation, that is all placed and imported into the Davidic covenant. Does that make sense? But there's one more thing. God says to who? I will make your name great. That's personal. Who does he say it to in the Abrahamic covenant? He says it to Abraham. Duh. And he says it again to David, which means that David now is the, is the, is the new Abraham. Does that make sense to everybody? David is now the new Abraham. He is now the father of a nation because he's the leader. He now carries a specific promise that, yes, Abraham, he's going to be, have a great name, great reputation. But David is going to be the fulfiller of that. Does that make sense to everybody? David is the mechanism by which the Abrahamic covenant and Abraham will have a great name. How is Abraham going to be known? Through his son, who? David. Or great, 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 great grandson. You get the picture. But it doesn't stop there. What is the next phrase? I will make you a great name like the what? Names of what? The great men who are on the earth. Everyone see that? What's missing from the Abrahamic promise? That last phrase. Does that make sense? I'm going to make you better than Abraham. I'm going to make you better than Abraham, and more specifically, the idea of the Gedolim, the great ones, <coughs> is this the heroes. The heroes. David, I'm going to make you a hero. I'm going to make you the greatest hero on the planet. Already you start to see. The great name denotes a great success, a great reputation, and that is because he will be the unparalleled hero. 
the unparalleled mighty warrior who is meant to save and will do something more spectacular in this world than anything else. David is destined, and the Davidic covenant is destined for cosmic greatness. Does that make sense to everybody? Do you see that? Because this is something that's going to give him world fame. Nowadays, you can get world fame from just having a nice big Twitter account. Back then, you better do something like global to get famous. Does that make sense to everybody? And God says, you're going, I'm going to make you be that one. You're going to do something so big. It's going to give you a great name. And it, the reason that it's going to be so big is it's tied back to the Abrahamic covenant and what God had promised there and his agenda through that. You're going to fulfill it and it's going to be so big, you'll have a great name. First promise, you're going to be the better Abraham. Next promise, And this doesn't exactly concern David. I will also appoint what? A place for... For what? For my people, for Israel. That's the second promise. Second promise is, I will appoint a place for them. Why is that important? King needs a land, that is true. Yes, it goes back to the Abrahamic covenant. What did God promise? Land. Remember three major things that God promised Abraham? Land, seed, and blessing. So now we have land. Or shall we say, nation. The Abrahamic covenant is once again reestablished into the Davidic covenant. You look confused. Everything okay? No, I'm just I'm just making sure. Oh, not yet. That's coming. That's coming. Don't. That that's like three lines from now. So, but you you already start to see where we're going with this. It'll, it'll come. Don't worry. Yeah, you're on the right track. But first, you need a land. David, because of this covenant with David, Israel will have its land. Israel will have its land. Israel will have a specific territory. And more specifically, on top of that, they not only will they have a place, but they will be planted in this land. Notice the rest of verse 10. I will plant them there. The word for plant implies the word implies security. Okay? And stability. And that is emphasized by the rest of the text. And they will dwell there. And they will never be shaken. And the sons of the foreigners will never afflict them again. As they did formerly. Okay? Even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. What is David the undoer of? When, what, when did this happen? They, they get into the land, got plants in there, but then all of a sudden they're afflicted by all these other pressures. The time of the judges. So, after, you know, way after the Abrahamic covenant, you have the conquest and the judges period. And who fulfills that period? Uh uh, not Joshua. David. He terminates that period because he provides what they can never provide stability, which then. 
fulfills what? And that's where you get the I will give you what? Rest. Rest. Good. Rest from all your enemies, which does link into this, but it links to what? Sabbath. Uh, true, 